feels good to be recording this podcast after watching a basketball game. Uh, and that's what we just did, if you can call it that. Um, we are coming to you guys right after the Louisville debacle. Louisville losing to Kentucky Wesleyan, their second Division II loss of the uh, Kenny Payne era. As I tweeted, they have as many Division II losses or as they do ACC wins under Kenny Payne, which is a very amazing statistic. Um, <laughs> like, it's just, it, it's so great. We had a, what, like, college basketball felt like it was back over the weekend when you had some of these awesome games. You know, the uh, Arkansas-Purdue game, the Michigan State-Tennessee game, awesome finishes, Illinois beating the number one team in the country in Kansas. But it wasn't truly back until we had just a horrific loss. And maybe Pace over St. John's was that, but if it was. That was a win. Or St. John's over Pace, losing to Pace. No, no. St. John's won that game. Because as as we all know, in an exhibition, it's better to lose than to win by 20. Well, if that's the case, then Kenny Payne is the best coach of all time. Rick Rick doubled down on that. He said, I, I have the quote here. If I asked anything for a Christmas present, it was this loss. We we learned a lot about what we needed to work on tonight, and that's what exhibition games are for. It's literally the exact like when they kind of blew the the big lead against Rutgers. I thought the, the, the Rick Honeymoon train would kind of slow down a little bit and people would be a little more level-headed. Not only did that not happen, they lose to Pace, and now St. John's fans think that think that Rick did it on purpose <laughs> to motivate the team. He's, he's so good at losing games. He's so good at winning games, he's now started to lose them. Yeah, he's God. He, he knew that they needed you know to, to get handled by a division two team anyway i i distracted us from the main story which is the yes. louisville cardinals yeah the louisville cardinals i mean look you 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 said many times last year you talked about the siren song of uh of georgetown, georgetown. And you couldn't get enough every single time they're on the tv you had to turn on and see how they would blow it until they won that that big east game and then it was kind of lame yes but at least until they, until they won, it was like, all right, holy shit. Where, um, where they raised the victory belt after that one win. Somehow somehow this feels worse. I mean, last year's Georgetown was a particular type of entertaining because they actually seemed like they could have been a basket, like a good basketball team. Um, but man, like, it is absolutely flooring to watch how bad Louisville is. Like, again... Did Chris Mack do an amazing job at Louisville? No. I think he would admit that. But, like, there's never been a bigger downgrade in history. Uh, I mean, watching this game, right? Like, Kentucky Wesleyan was not even good. No. Like, their center, the dude Fernandez, was atrocious. He took, like, ten shots. He missed all of them. He was a flow killer. Hold any dribble in it. Their their guards like <laughs> their guards weren't weren't that great. Uh, the one guy beat Sky Clark like three times in a row. Their, their point guard and there was no help side at all. Which 
I mean, if you're a team that's going to roll out lineups with Dennis Evans and Hunley Adfield, how do you have no rim protection? Like, you know, most of the time when one team out out rebounds the other at this level, it's just because the other, you know, the the team with fewer rebounds missed too many shots, so the other team got more easy defensive rebounds. This one, Louisville doesn't even like go after rebounds. Like they don't go after defensive rebounds with their seven footers. They don't go after offensive rebounds. And this Fernandez dude and all these like six foot four guards are flying in getting rebounds. It's a disaster. It was unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And 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 there's no there's no structure in any way to what they're doing. Like he like I turn on the game and like what in the world is he doing? He's playing Brandon Huntley Hatfield and Dennis Evans together. There's no spacing. This is the same problem as last year. Then. Like, you go to a timeout, and the next possession, it's, all right, like, Caleb Glenn is the four, and Jovanovic is the five. Now now we're going full small ball. None Jovanovic of- got in for, like, two possessions, and he stepped out of bounds. <laughs> it's, like, I don't, I don't, we don't need to do, like, the post-mortem on Louisville season, because it's not theoretically over yet, but, like, the same shit that Kenny Payne screwed up when he didn't recruit the players, he then screwed up when he did recruit the players. And the players are all four and five star recruits, and they don't look that talented. Like like they do not do anything well playing basketball. Like there is not a single thing you turn on USC or excuse me, you're on Louisville and you see say that's what this team does well. It was the same last year, same this year. It's coaching. Like he, like Kenny Payne is a horrible college basketball coach. I would argue, and I just tweeted this, and I haven't done the history behind this to back this up. But like, there is a world at least where Kenny Payne is the worst non-scandal college basketball hire of all time. And it was. It wasn't this obvious when they hired him, but like this was not a good hire. I mean, I, I, you, you can go back and check the tapes. I was never in on hiring a Kentucky assistant with no head coaching experience to be a high major head coach. I mean, Kentucky recruits just line up to go there. Anyone could recruit a Kentucky, and you're Louisville. I mean, you just pulled. A coach who got a one seed in the NCAA tournament in Chris Mack. And they're like, oh, well, Kenny Payne really wants. That That was Jeff Goodman's line. Like, Kenny Payne would walk to take Louisville. W- when do we give jobs based on who wants it? That doesn't make any sense. It's... I mean, look, that was the time when everyone was hiring. Um, everyone was trying to hire the guy with the connection to the school. He had the connection to the school. It's a weird landscape there. Um, he obviously had success as an assistant at Kentucky. We both generally just think it's stupid to hire assistant coaches generally for big time jobs, let alone a Kentucky assistant. And again, like, I think the talent acquisition has been like probably like a B, right? Like it's probably not an A. 
I don't know if it's an A because an A would have been DJ Aaron Bradshaw. And you got and, the, and I guess the roster construction has to factor into it. Correct. And and there's no shooting. There's like one ball handler. He has like again like I he really doesn't seem to have any idea what he's doing and he doesn't seem self-aware enough to understand like and learn from what happened in year one and hire people around him to do things differently. Well, like if like Jamie Dixon had this roster, it would be a top 25 team. <laughs> he would just pound the glass <laughs> or, or Chris Jans or one of these dudes or, you know, one, uh, Mick Cronin, you know, these, these guys that'll just put two bigs out there and, t- and scream at Dennis Evans and Huntley Hatfield until they get you five offensive rebounds. Rebound, rebound, rebound. Okay. Patrick, you on. <laughs> anyway, um, in many ways, this does kind of feel like the end for Kenny Payne. Like, he's not getting fired tomorrow, obviously. But it's hard to see how he can come back from this. But, I mean, yeah. he probably should get – like, if you hire him tomorrow, you can at least save your season. Whereas if you hire, if you fire him after about the first two months, so you fire him in January, like, your season's over. Like, well, you're playing for the ACC tournament. But I, I agree with you. Um, I don't know who they would like replace him with. I mean, no, Mr. Analytics, Nolan Smith's gonna fix the thing. Chris Mack. <laughs> hey, Chris, we're recalling you back to duty. Here, <laughs> I think Chris, like, I, I think if if Josh Heard called Chris Mack tomorrow and was like, "You need to come back and coach the team," I think Chris would literally just tell him to fuck off and hang up the phone. You could pull, you know, you know how like uh, Fran Dunphy's out here at what seventy, whatever. Laranag is a hundred years old. Like, call up a retired coach. There's gotta be Some, someone out there who's like in, 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 in their seventies with, with the basketball itch. I'm I'm going to read the uh, the text that you sent me, Brad, um, during the game. Because I texted you about the Huntley Hatfield Evans duo. And you said, It is so funny how bad Kenny Payne is. This is the one instance where the random message board poster would be a better coach. And you're right. Like, ignoring the idea that, like, you would not be able to recruit because everyone would know that you had, like, some clown as the head coach. Like, if you gave me or you or the people who listen to this podcast, the head coaching job at Louisville and handed them three like competent replacement level assistants. Like doesn't have to be a Louisville level assistant, just like three regular assistant coaches. They could at least match what Kenny Payne did. Without question. <laughs> I mean, they won four games last year. That's insane. So anyway, let's, let's, let's wrap the Louisville talk. We have a lot to get to. This is our final until talk. next week. Yes. When they lose to Maryland, Baltimore County. Yes. This is our final pod before the start of the regular season. We're planning on putting one out midweek next week, uh, off before after opening night, but before those Friday the tenth games that are really really good. Um, so we've got to get to our prop bets. You guys who are longtime listeners know this, but we just we bet on a lot of random shit. Um, everything from who will be the leading scorer on certain teams to the you know the top top young, top freshman scorers to um, 
you know, how often will certain teams play two big lineups and things like that. So it's a lot of fun. Hope you guys stick around for that. We also will talk about some of these secret, uh, these public uh, charity exhibition games um, that were this weekend. I was in Champaign for Illinois, Kansas, uh, and some just general stuff to get off our chests before the season begins. So, Brad, should we start with these three games, or do you have some other stuff you want to get off your chest first? So, we can start with the game. So, I I watched in its entirety Ohio State Dayton, George Mason West Virginia, and Arkansas Purdue. And then I watched the second half of Louisville. And then I watched the highlights for Tennessee, Michigan State, and a few other of those kind of random uh, ones on the Matthew Loves Ball channel. And you obviously were were, were at Kansas, Illinois, which I didn't watch anything from yet. All right, let's start then with with Kansas, Illinois. Um, So you didn't watch. Illinois won the game 82 to 75 thoughts here on the Illinois front I was impressed with the fact that Illinois just seemed a lot more composed and stable than they were last season like we've talked about this a lot in the show Illinois last season was the perfect example of a team where when things are going good, they're very good. When things are going bad, they're very bad. Like, they didn't have the ability to flush bad possessions. They didn't have the ability to stabilize the game when things didn't go their way. And that was because they had Jaden Epps and Matt Meyer and Sky Clark. Um, It's just... It was not a stable environment for for this team and they didn't do a great job of they didn't do a great job of having answers to some of the question marks for like what when things went wrong right like brad underwood would get into a situation in the second half where a team punched him in the mouth and they wouldn't really run anything they just let Terrence shannon isolate and that's not a great feeling so i think this year and this is what you saw against Kansas was they're running a lot more sets. They're playing guys who are more comfortable as lower usage guys. It's not my turn, my turn, my turn, my turn. Um, TJ, like TJ looks really good. Coleman Hawkins looks really good. And the guys like Damask and Gary A uh, and Ty Rogers all, all fit in well. I mean, Ty Rogers, they did a nice job with him. There was a few things I didn't understand Kansas defensively with Ty. Like, like Ty would stand in the corner and they would play him straight. I don't, I don't think teams are going to do that in the regular season. Um, they're going to go, you know, they're going to really sag off like they did with Andre Jackson. But I thought they did, like, it, it, Illinois did some Andre Jackson stuff with him. Um, you know, catch DHO into a three, um, quick, quick moves around the rim. Like, he did a nice job of managing the game. And they trusted everyone to bring the ball up the floor. Gary A would bring it up the floor. Damask would bring it up the floor. So, you know, I I came away impressed with Illinois. Now, Illinois should win whenever Coleman Hawkins and Terrence Shannon combine to hit nine threes. But 
to me, that looked like an upper echelon Big Ten team and a team that I think will be a little bit more consistent than they were a season ago. I was listening to the Sleepers media podcast today, and they seemed very concerned that Brad didn't use the bench enough. He used the bench a ton in the first half. They they were saying that you know he he was he he basically made it too apparent too early what the hierarchy was, which they think will lead to locker room problems or maybe like a midseason defection or something. Do you do you worry about not kind of spreading the minutes? I mean, like you 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 contrast that to the the, the Purdue game, um, and Painter especially in the first half played like 11 guys he was spreading it out super evenly um you know he 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 could have gone in there and just played you know seven or eight but he, he gave Cannon Heidi a, a look Brian Waddell a look uh and I I guess from what it sounds like Underwood didn't really do that so I don't have the box score in front of me but he Definitely did in the first half. Like, pretty much everyone got a run. The second he tightened it up. When you're talking about potential defections, the only two I could see getting, like, pissed and leaving would be Draven Gibbs-Lawhorn, who's a freshman who they really, really like, and Dane Danger, who seems a little boxed out. Like, I think if, if Illinois could, I think they would let Dane play no minutes and play Imani Hansberry as the backup five because Dane's been there. He's probably going to play and cut into Hansberry minutes. Him and Gibbs Lawhorn, they both really like, they just aren't sure how many minutes they're going to get. But I thought the the hierarchy was pretty, pretty, was pretty clear, but they did force feed some first half minutes. So I didn't think that was a problem. And then for Kansas, I mean, people are starting to line up on uh, my side of this where I, you know, I I Kansas sixth all all offseason. I'm keeping him at number six. Um, but the shooting, you know, the build around Hunter Dickinson, the the pairing of Adams and Dickinson together. Dewan Harris, some people think he's like an all-American. Like that's so insane. Like people just love these glue guy point guards who are good defenders and don't score. Like they just for what whatever reason, you know. Nostalgia from their sixth grade CYO team, where like you actually needed a point guard who could handle a press or something. I I I don't know what the reasoning is, but people love that type of player for for whatever reason. And Dewan Harris is no All American. So I think the problem that I had with Kansas, and I thought they were fine, they just didn't look very dynamic. And part of that's that El Marco Jackson's still earning trust, and part of that was Johnny Furphy didn't play, and they seem excited about him. But was he hurt? Yeah, shin splints. Ooh. Um. But at the same time, right? You looked up, and you just didn't feel like there were enough threats on the floor, right? And again, maybe that's where Arterio Morris would have helped them. But when you're turning, when when you're when you're a defensive player. And you look at him like Dewan Harris is the ball. He's not scoring. KJ Adams is the four. He's not scoring. Or at least he's not creating anything. And then the two creators are a freshman and Kevin McCuller. That's not like 
that's not threatening, right? And, and McCullough had a great game. He's much improved. Self thinks he's going to have a big year. But if I'm a if I'm an opposing coach and I say Kevin McCullough ISOs are going to be the thing that beats me, I probably am okay with that, right? Like they're going to have to manufacture offense. They're going to have to be able to run in transition. And I like I think they're going to win a ton of games. But unless either El Marco or Furphy steps up, I do worry. So like, the way the way that you're speaking of Kansas now and, and and how I've seen some people on Twitter speak of Kansas after yesterday's game. The way you're speaking of them, it's like they're fringe top 25 teams. No, no, no. Well, but part of it's his coaching, right? I mean, well, they're also really old and they're really that they're really old and they're really skilled and they're really well coached. Um, I guess here's my thing. I was at the Final Four in New Orleans when Kansas won the title. I was at dinner the night before the championship game with a bunch of media people, a bunch of like random college basketball people, insiders, if you will. Not not all media people, but a lot of media people were there. And a guy I was sitting next to, who I won't name, we were talking about the game and, you know, like who we thought would win. And the guy next to me said, I think Kansas is going to win tomorrow and win another championship. And I don't think they're particularly good. And maybe that's an exaggeration, but like, it's true. Like Kansas has not felt overwhelming and they've still had great teams. Like last year, that was not an overwhelming Kansas team. And they still set a record for quadrant one wins. Now, maybe, maybe you felt like there was a little more weaponry with Jalen Wilson there and Grady Dick. But I, I kind of think they'll still be a top five team and be fine. Like, again, they lost a very close game on the road against a top 25-ish team. Like, if 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 you... If you lose a top 25 game on, on the road, like they probably would have been, what, two-point favorites yesterday via Ken Palm? If that. It would have been a pretty much a pick. So I'm not raising the – I'm not raising huge, huge concern. But – They didn't look like a like if you were like, oh, where's the performance that tells me this is the title favorite? That was not what I saw. Well, I, I guess you could say the similar thing about Purdue, Arkansas. Now I did watch this whole game. I don't. I didn't. I I wasn't really blown away by either team. Like Khalif yeah. Battle played really well, and LL has played really well for Arkansas, and they hit a ton of shots. I don't think that's going to be an every game thing. Um, Makai Mitchell was very good as well. But, like, they're so, – so I don't think Battle and Ellis are going to be, like, best players on a top 25 team game in, game out. And I – you know, Brazil's undeniably a great prospect. I've, again, another guy who I've seen a lot as an All-American, I think this is the exact opposite case as Dewan Harris and something that maybe people can accuse me of doing with Tyrese Proctor or Riley Kugel, where he's clearly – an elite prospect, but I don't think the production is there yet from Brazil to be like an all American type. 
And then the rest of these guys, like your Davenport and Lawson, and you know, those guys just kind of looked fine. Now their defense could be really good. They're probably a little more athletic than I gave them credit for. A little longer than I gave them credit for. But still, I I moved him up a couple spots, but I still I'm still kind of dying on my hill that this isn't a top 25 team. And then for Purdue, they looked terrible as well. I mean, outside of Edie Smith and Lawyer, and then Gills in the second half, everyone looked terrible. I, so, I, I don't think that's an every game thing. I mean, part of that is that they probably got sped up by Arkansas's athleticism. At the same time, I think it was just kind of more of an outlier performance with Edie early foul trouble and Painter playing a million guys, too. So a lot of how you see this game has to be how do you see Arkansas? Like if you see Arkansas, this is a top 20, top, top 20 team, sweet, you know, second weekend type team, then there's no shame in what Pavin and Purdue. If you view Arkansas as like they're going to struggle this year and be like closer to the bubble, then you're in trouble, right? And so, so, so here's the way that I come down on this game. To me, this game was a perfect. What's it called? I think it's like like, like the, the 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 eye of the 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 thing where I think it's called like a Rorschach test. Rorschach test, yeah. Rorschach test, yes. Where like how you how you see or interpret the thing to tells you like the answer, right? So if you think Purdue, if you came into today thinking Purdue was a, you know, on the way to being Virginia 2.0 gonna win the national title is really good just or 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 at least gonna have a real chance to win the national title is really good just had you know shitty luck in march this game shouldn't have swayed you differently because they hung around against a good team without zach Eady, basically without with with all the foul trouble and with guys missing a lot of open threes if your view is that purdue is fraudulent then you came away with this and said see they can't deal with athletic guards see Eady struggles when he's you know fronted with smaller more athletic bigs like they're very reliant on him they don't no one's really taking the jump they haven't changed enough from what they were last year right that's the way i view this game right i was generally more in on purdue so i see it as look they played six plus minutes in the second half on the road in one of the best environments in college basketball with zach ed off the floor and played it to a plus one it's pretty good that that makes me feel pretty good. So, but I understand when I look up and I say, all right, like Lance Jones didn't do a whole lot, right? Lance Jones, the fifth starter, he's clearly a, a big part of Painter's like new 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 Purdue. He didn't do a whole lot. Shot two for eleven. And Braden Smith had seven turnovers. And Miles Colvin didn't really play. And the Kaufman run Edie thing didn't work great. Like all those things, very concerning. So I think Purdue is what Purdue is. The idea that you were going to see a completely different Purdue that was overwhelming everyone in the country probably was not rooted in reality. But if you came into that game expecting that, then you're probably pretty down on Purdue today. I'm I'm keeping Purdue at number one. I mean, I would always, you know, I I, I didn't do any crazy secret scrimmage or charity scrimmage ranking moves. The craziest one I did was probably I, I moved Xavier down like five or six spots after losing to Notre Dame last week. Um, I I moved Arkansas up 
two spots, so I have them as a nine seed. I, I'm keeping Purdue at number one. I mean, number one teams lose to nine seeds on the road all the time. Like Purdue last year with Rutgers or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, Rutgers last year because Rothstein tweeted about the heart attack while the football player had the heart attack. Um, yeah, I mean, teams do that literally every year. So charity exhibition, I'm I'm not worried at all. That's a pretty normal outcome, even for a seasoned game in February. Uh, and then I guess lastly, I don't know how much of West Virginia, George Mason, if you watched. Uh, um, I was going to talk Tennessee. Oh, sorry. The uh, other team. So, Tennessee looked really, really good, right? Like, we can all agree that was really impressive. You watched yeah, the game, correct? I, I watched the highlights. Okay. Um, but I had, I had Tennessee at number five in, in, in the preseason. And the fact that they did this without Vescovy and without Ziegler, it, you know, that, that was huge. Dalton Connect looked awesome. Jonas Adu looked awesome. I've, I've always been a big Adu guy. Um, and, you know, they didn't even get a ton from the young guys. Like, Freddie DeLeon didn't, didn't give him a ton. I didn't see any, uh, like, DJ Jefferson or J.P. Estrella at all, basically. It was just the, these tough-nosed veterans that Delta Connect's uh, shooting. And Jordan Ganey, obviously, yeah. Yeah, Connect, Connect awesome, 28-7-4. Um, I just... It's one of those things where I heard a million times from people around Tennessee that Dalton Connect was a dude. And I kind of believed it, kind of didn't. I believed it in like the, okay, he's going to have a nice year. And then he did what he did, including that dunk. And you're like, okay, this dude is serious. Like, like Dalton Connect is going to be a problem. Dalton Connect is going to play his way into an NBA contract. Um, and then you also looked at Ganey, and I, I viewed him as like a bench 10-minute-a-game shooter. And he comes out and averages, he puts up 20 and 6. He played great defense on Hogard. He made the smartest play of the game at the end, you know, grabbing the ball after the Hogard made three and uh, pushing it up the floor on the foul. He ran the, you know, managed the game, ran the team. Like, he played well enough to the point where, like, I don't know that there's a point guard controversy, but there's at least a conversation of all right like what are we doing with the minutes when Sakai gets back because and when Avescovy gets back too correct because they're gonna have to find a way to get on the floor they're gonna have to find a way to get Mayshack on the floor and Freddie DeLeon is a top 30 recruit and potential first round pick and Freddie DeLeon I mean they we've been excited about him but if Freddie's like like I'm not convinced that Freddie's playing if Zakai, Vescovy, Ganey, and Meshack are all healthy. Yeah, I mean, you have Josiah James as well, right? You're going to have Connect there getting some perimeter minutes. Awaka will get some minutes at the four. So I don't think yeah. he will. You don't think Awaka's playing any at the four? I mean, they have so many good guards. I don't, I don't know how you do. Like, I think the plan is as much. The plan is that Josiah is the four, and then I guess Connect would be the backup four in that case. Are we on any uh, portal watch with 
with the Tennessee, like, you know, with Duke and Kentucky and even Kansas some of these past few years, it's like, well, they got 11 top 50 recruits or, or whatever. So Tennessee you know, is like that. Yeah. Line up now. Start start giving uh, DJ Jefferson and Cameron Carr and JP Estrella some phone calls. Cam Carr, like Tennessee thinks Cam Carr is going to be a first round pick in two years. I've seen him play once. I didn't get first round pick necessarily, but we'll see. Michigan State side, I thought they were fine. Like I, I think the thing that we're going to keep coming back to with Michigan State is for them to hit their ceiling. They need to really invest in these freshmen. Like Fears, Carr, and especially Booker have to get on the floor. They have to find a way to get these guys involved because, like. This team, other without that, this team is just running back a mediocre Big Ten team from last year. Yeah, their five spot is super interesting because it, it seemed like I didn't check a box score, but Carson Cooper played the most out of the five out of the five men yesterday. It seems like they like Carson Cooper. Yeah, that seems very college basketball. I did see him in the highlights, set like one absolute killer screen. Wait. <laughs> Here we go. Um, but yeah, Matty Sissoko doesn't really do it for me. He had that one great game in the, in, in the Champions Classic last year. Other than that, um, and then Z- on the uh, on the aircraft carrier. Oh, awesome. you're right. That was it. Um, and then Xavier Booker. I mean, Tom Izzo just doesn't really trust. You know, we, we saw with with Jaron Jackson. Um, famously, they were playing Ben Carter over him in the, in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Tom Tom Izzo's an old school college basketball coach. He wants his vets. Yes. Is, is that it for this game? Should we move on briefly yeah, to let's, George let's, Mason? Yeah, George Mason, West Virginia. You mentioned this. Um, a cook, a cook had a very scary collapse on the court. That's a big deal. Like if he's out for the year, they're just running out of bodies, right? Yeah, I mean, he he's not a great player, but he, he's a fine starter. And now without him, you're going to um, Slazinski obviously will start. And then off the bench, you're going to go a little smaller. Maybe this Ofri Neve guy who actually has a pretty good floor game. Yeah, he's a good player. But, I mean, that's basically it. Like... Right, they're, you, they're, you have you have Raekwon Battle sitting. You have Noah Farrakhan sitting. You have a cook a cook hurt. If if Raekwon Battle doesn't get his waiver approved, then your entire team is Kirk Reese, Seth Wilson, Josiah Harris, Quinsolinski, Jesse Edwards, Kobe Johnson, Alfred Nave, Jeremiah Bembry, and Patrick Sumnick. Sumnick's your backup five. Other than I guess they have that third guy. They have the the kid the who gets yeah. a walk on who's like. Average 2.7 a game in D2. Um, Neve seems fine. Kobe Johnson seems fine. And then Bembry's like a D2 player. So Harris can shoot it. I guess he can play some four, too. Um, but, yeah, you're down to basically eight guys. Je- Jesse Edwards is your best player by far. Uh, they looked awful when he was in foul trouble, which was after, like, three minutes of the game. Um, then he played most of the second half, and he really elevated them. Um, George Mason... They look pretty good. I'm not sure 
any higher than like the middle of the pack in the A10, but Darius Maddox was hitting shots. Yeah. Keyshawn Hall looked good. Um, they have a, a lot of versatility with Woody Newton. He looks more comfortable out there. Um, the freshman point guard Baraka Koji is a problem. Yeah, he he might be uh, in a, a a year or two in a different jersey. I was trying to think of a good comp for him. I had texted you Edmund Sumner, but that's not great because Sumner's a better shooter and a little taller. Yeah. Akoji's a driver. He's like six three. He's, he's one he, of those guys that like he just is like he's very slippery. Like he's not expressly fast, but he just finds his way in the lane all the time. Yeah, it looks like he has good length. I'm not sure how he's a shooter, but Tony Skin played him a ton. He looks really good. Yeah. He trusted you know. Uh, the Polite started, but I think he probably played more at point guard than Polite did. They should play Polite at the two and Okoji at the one and bring Jared Billups off the bench. I mean, this team doesn't have a ton of like true shot creation without him because Polite's not like a super shifty guy. Maddox is way more shooter than scorer. Hall is like, I think, still kind of figuring it out. Maddox is, is a tough shot maker, though. He, he, he had a, a very impressive performance. Right, but he's never getting to the rim. No. It's... Pull-ups, which a lot of pull-ups. So he was getting pretty deep. He 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 was getting to like the free throw line area. Um, and then their front court, they really need the waiver for Jalen Haynes because Amari Kelly fouled out, and then they went to Malik Henry, who was who was pretty good. I've always liked um, Malik Henry. I've always liked a lot him. of energy, very good athlete. Like he he caught like a, a lob off a standstill. Um, off he's a like the Dylan Cardwell of the uh, he's like the Dylan Cardwell of the Atlantic Ten. Except he's he's like six seven. No, no, he's no, like, he's like, like six nine. Really? Supposedly. No. He like looks like a four, but he's got to play the five. But he was he was good. Um, but both both those guys fouled out, and then they have Pavaretti, who's a transfer from Central Michigan. He 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 looked out of place. Um, yeah, so they enough. they could use Jalen Haynes, um, but uh-huh. I. I don't know if it was injuries or anything, but I didn't see Devin Dinkins play at all, who was a pretty good recruit. They didn't play any of their other freshmen or the guy, his name Trey Wood, who transferred in, I think from Long Island. Yeah, he um, was at UMass and then LIU. Yeah. So, um, a few other just like results based stuff to mention. Bama gave up a ton of points to Wake Forest. That's a concern. Wake Forest without two starters, that's an even bigger concern. We've talked about Bama's defense being a potential problem. Let's keep an eye out there. Texas Tech beats AM in a very highly competitive game. Um, Pop Isaacs with 30. I think we're both probably buying a little bit of Texas Tech stock. I like them, yeah. I, I have them at 33. Yeah. But that could, could be a tad low. K-State... Naquan Tomlin suspended indefinitely after a bar fight. I can't imagine that he's suspended like that long for this, but he's very important to their team. They The only game they lost all, all of last year when he played 30 minutes or more was the Elite Eight game. So, And he didn't play against SMU, right? And they just started right. the, the, they, the three guards. They trailed they by 20 in that game and came back to lose by 10. Right, because one of the whole appeals of this Kansas State roster, and I'm sure the sell to Arthur Kaluma, right, was you're going to play Kaluma at the three, and yep. then Talmud at the four, and Engasan at the five. Yep. 
um, and that's long, that's athletic, that's switchable. Yeah. When you take out Tomlin and you add Quiz Glover, now you got the three guards and sliding Kaluma back back to the four. That's you know that's that's not going to be big enough or athletic enough, and they clearly didn't score enough against SMU. Um, do you have any other things we should get to before the props? I have a lot. Okay, let's do it. All right. Firing up my list that I actually prepared today. First off, I almost choked on my lunch on Friday listening to this, this CBS podcast. And Gary Parrish equated the impact of Omax to the, to the impact of Brandon Newman and David Jenkins. Oh, my God. I, I, I rewound it after I was done choking on my mango habanero chicken tender. And he said, because Norlander has Marquette at number two, which I don't know if Norlander knows that defense is a thing. Um, but Parrish was like, yeah, Purdue – Brings pretty much everybody back. Marquette brings pretty much everybody back. That's a reasonable one and two. I mean, the the Omax slander, the Omax erasure, that that was the inflection point. It is we, we we have collectively lost our minds. Omax is an NBA player. He's an elite defender. He was their best defender on uh, <laughs> He can shoot. He can handle the ball a little bit. He's not the same as two bench guards. Any comment or should I keep going? I mean, I don't have a, com- a comment other than the fact that, yes, we both agree that Omax is being severely underrated by people. Here's, here's a take. I think Tyler Kolek is the fifth or maybe sixth best player in the Big East. So I don't think he was undeserving as player of the year last year. And I don't think he's undeserving as preseason player of the year this year. I mean, it's a symbolic award, you know. But I think if I'm starting a team or even just comparing two players, give me Donovan Klingon, give me Trey Alexander, give me Ryan Kalkbrenner, give me Bryce Hopkins, and then if Justin Moore is Justin Moore, then give me Justin Moore. Is that crazy? No. I mean, I do think being able to start a team with the point guard would be more valuable than starting the team with, like, B-Hop or Justin Moore. So from a pure starting the team standpoint, I would say probably I would lean away from you on that front. But I will say this. Kolek won player of the year last year because he was the theoretical best player on Marquette. Uh, and Marquette won the league. But we don't need to pick him in the preseason because of that last year, right? Like, we could just pick the best player. Yeah, personally, I would have Donovan Klingon as, as as my player of the year. Uh, it was a, a travesty that he wasn't on the first team over Joel Soriano. Like, what on earth are we doing? That's insane. That was Joel crazy. Soriano's not even a top 10 player in the Big East. Anyway. I would do Kalkbrenner. Personally, I was staying on Marquette. I think if I were to switch allegiances or, you know, a 
a new, you know, a young young person wants to get into college basketball, they say, what team should I follow? I think I tell a Marquette. I think that they're set up to like really explode these next two years. If 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 they can just re, you know keep this retention up, keep they're they're recruiting, you know, one top fifty guy, one top one hundred guy in uh, twenty twenty four. If they can keep you know they they have like Nike Lewis visiting who's a top fifty recruit for, for twenty five already. You know, they they're already lining up their twenty five class. It seems like. I think Shaka could really keep this rolling. Like, if they lose Kolek and Oso this year, and that's it, and then next year, you just there's no guarantees that either of those guys go. Those guys go. Right, but like, let's right. Let, let's say Kolek and Oso leave. They just elevate Chase Ross and Ben Gold, and they're probably still like a top twenty team. And then the next year, when Cam Jones, Stevie Mitchell, and David Joplin graduate, you just promote, you know. Sean Jones, Trey Norman, and Zay Lowry, and you just keep it keep it moving. Those, if if they can keep this train rolling and, and and keep keep the bench guys engaged, give guys a little more minutes each each year, and keep this one top fifty recruit, one top one hundred recruit, and one like three star guy. I think I think Marquette is like like buy buy stock now, and I guess if you were to say like if if you if you think that that's a little little too bandwagon because Marquette won the Big East last year, I think the team I might go to is Georgia Tech. I think Damon Stoudemire is clearly recruiting well. We know he can coach from his time at Pacific, where he did like crazy stuff for that program. And the ACC is is soft enough, and the coaches and the, the the better coaches are old enough that there's a ton of upward mobility right now. Any thoughts on that? So on the Marquette front, I think we both kind of had this come to Jesus moment like midway through last year. Like I remember tweeting it at some point like, oh, by the way, like everybody's going to come back. There's no reason. Like they're recruiting the perfect level of player where like they're good, but they're also likely to come back every year, which is just like a great, great position to be in. Um, and um, like you use your NIL money for retention. Correct. Right, like use it next year to keep Cam Jones. Use it the following year to keep Chase Ross or whoever breaks out again, you know? Um, the Georgia Tech question, I think you're probably calling your shot a little bit, but it wouldn't be a bad choice. Do you have any team that you think is like right on the precipice of exploding that you would tell people to hop on the bandwagon now? Hmm. Good question. Texas Tech. That's a good one, yeah. I'm a huge McCaslin guy. The staff is amazing. They have the resources. That would be the thing. I just would not want a job that wasn't like I. I would want to pick a team that has great NIL. Right. Yeah. You because got. Otherwise, it. it would just be like a shitty. Like being a fan of a team with no NIL would be like terrible. Which which leads us perfectly to my next topic. Oh my god. Oh dear. What. What a weekend. Daquan Davis bails. Three to three slash four star commit to Providence in the class of 2024 for those unfamiliar. But he he really defends. He can shoot. He can score. He was having a great 
senior season so far. He was really important. He was our only, obviously, four-star recruit. Probably next year be, like, the eighth man, but, like, eventually, by the time he's a junior or senior, be, like, a really good starter. Um, but now we get this thing from the Maryland insider message board, I guess. Their insider makes these two wild claims. Claims that are, are so wild, I need... I need to share them with our audience. First, he claims that Daquan Davis was committed to Maryland in the summer. Kevin Willard then told him he could take more visits for fun. And after taking those visits, Kevin Willard rescinded his commitment because he had a bad summer with Team Thrillers. I don't even think he had a bad summer. I thought he was like kind of... On the upward trajectory, not downwards. They won Under Armour. I mean, this this idea that a coach would tell a committed recruit, yeah, take some more visits, have some filet mignon. Well, the only way he would do that is if he wanted the kid to walk. Honestly. Right. And then the kid didn't. Then he was like, okay, then you can't come here. Which, like, I don't know what Willard's, like, vibe is or not. Like, I can't say for sure, really, whether that's a good good decision or a bad one because I haven't watched enough Daquan Davis and I don't know enough about Maryland's recruiting board, but yes, the only way you would tell a recruit to take more visits would basically by, is it, is you're basically telling them at that point, we want you to decommit. You wouldn't have taken the commitment in the first place. Unless they took the commitment early and then realized, Oh shit, he's not good enough. I mean, this idea that Daquan's like, all right, I'm about to text Joe Tipton, make the edit. Kevin Willard's like, you know what? Take some more visits. I don't think a single coach would do that. Okay, continue. Secondly, the Maryland Insider claims that Indiana is basically going to take their Boogie Flan money and allocate it to Daquan Davis, which would pay him $400,000 for his freshman year. Not, Not for four years, for his freshman year. Which would like the why would Indiana pay him four hundred thousand dollars? You wouldn't be you wouldn't want him being your starting point guard next year. You you would want a transfer point guard. Correct. There's there's no real justification for spending that level of money on him as a for for the first year. And yeah, and, and Providence is absolutely screwed. My 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 kid, you know. Kim English stock has never been lower. This is like an absolute disaster. If we don't beat Columbia by 50 on Monday, I don't know. It's not going well. This is the second time now that we've been publicly out outbid, just kind of like Alfred. You know, there was Villanova with Lance Ware, who by all accounts was coming to Providence. And Villanova was like, you know what, just just come here instead. Here's some more money. And now supposedly Indiana's doing the same thing with Daquan Davis. We're we're an easy mark. This is this is an absolute disaster. Anyway. All right. Last thing, NIT. Yeah, so I have now, I, w- I was about to come on here and have, like, a mad dog freak out about the NIT. 
But but the sleepers podcast, they're on my side too. Tristan Freeman tweeted, he's on my, he's on my side too. I this think everyone's I, actually on your side, to be clear. The well, the the stated what's the phrase like? People are saying one thing, but their actions are are telling us another thing. Like this idea that you're so upset that we're gonna get Washington State versus Nebraska instead of Washington State Eastern Washington. Like, go and look at the NIT bracket from last year. Those are bye games. All but like two of them are literal bye games, which people are rightfully complaining about our opening night slate because it's full of bye games. Yet, on the postseason tournament, after you've been watching Furman, Virginia, NCAA tournament buzzer beater, you know, watching Princeton beat Arizona. With all this attention, all this branding of the NCAA tournament, now you're going to step back, flip to the lesser tournament, and watch basically a bye game with no stakes? So so my, my feel on the matter is this. I don't think people are actually mad about, like, the matchups in the NIT. There are a few people, like, they're the NIT stands that thinks that. that I'll let that Sean Paul be mad. Everyone else get lost. But I think the majority of people who are upset about it beyond. OK, so there, there's three lines of people upset. people who are upset about the actual like meat and potatoes games of the NIT. People who are upset because they think it means they're changing the NCAA tournament. And then people who are upset because of what the NIT means. People are mad because. Now there's no like consolation prize when Eastern Washington loses in the Big Sky tournament, right? The whole idea, and I, I say this as a one bid league fan, and you, you know, Brad, Brad, you may not have quite had this experience. Like when Sienna wins the regular season, it matters partially because it's cool to win the regular season, but a big reason why it matters is like you're guaranteed to go to an end tournament, and it meant something to go to an end tournament, right? The NIT is not the NCAA tournament. It still stinks when you don't make the big dance. But you also kind of sit there and you say, all right, like we had a successful year because we made the NIT. And now that that's gone, I think that stings to people. But yes, I, I cannot feign outrage about like the games because I watched more college basketball than anyone. And I barely watched the NIT. And, I mean, we've talked a hundred times about how for these mid-major coaches, it's all about the three days in March. I mean, how many times have you heard that phrase? About how, okay, Siena loses to Albany or whatever. Won't won't use Albany. Okay, Siena loses to Stonehill in November. The game literally does not matter, right? Like It doesn't affect their, their chances to win the conference at all. It's, it's the exact opposite of, of the high major teams. And this idea that, well, those lower, you know, the, the mid-major teams, the lower conference teams, it means more to them to make the NIT. Enough, who cares who it means more to? You're going to do the freaking top 25 vote? Oh, let's throw a vote for Furman because it means more. Okay, but like I, multiple people do that. <laughs> it's stupid, and I say it every time. Oh, I, I agree with you. I'm just saying that, like, we can't we can't sit there and act as though like that's a huge issue because everyone does. It. I I think it's it's an enormous issue, but um, I don't care about the NIT. 
doesn't matter to me if you put in Eastern Washington or 13-18 Nebraska. I I don't care. If Providence is in the NIT this year, I'm going to have an aneurysm. Um, I guess two more things I wanted to bring up. First, I mean, we have no waiver no waiver clarity at all. I was naive enough to think I was going to do my depth charts with everybody gets a waiver, which was stupid. Because we're not even going to know until like two weeks into the season when it's too late. And even like I saw a tweet that Bijan Cortez needs a waiver. So it's not even only two time transfers. There's like random people out there, international guys, academic guys that need need waivers. I mean, we're six days out. We have no idea who's who's, who's playing basketball. The, 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 the thing that makes no sense is that the NCAA has just created more work for itself. Well, it gives itself a reason to exist. Well, yeah, that's true. And and then lastly, I guess, just a couple of notes. So Texas does not have Dylan Disu or Kadeen Shedrick yet. We're a week out of the season. Um, that's a big deal. Correct. I, I, I moved them from 9 to 11. I assume they're going to come back and be healthy at some point soon. Uh, but they're going to start the – I mean, they have a a good early tournament. I mean, they they get Louisville first, uh, but then they'll play either UConn or Indiana. Second week of the year, the what, the 19th and 20th, that Sunday and Monday? So they got to they gotta get healthy. Um, Florida Atlantic, I dropped a couple spots. I don't, I don't know what's going on with their uh, secret scrimmages and, and why they can't control the narrative. Clearly, the most valuable player in college basketball is Elijah, Elijah Martin. And then lastly, before we can get to our prop bets, um, Virginia Tech loses Rodney Rice. He bails. He was unhappy about whatever. Assistant coach, they, you know, Mike Jones from DeMatha leaves. So now he's portaling. You got MJ Collins, who played a little last year as a freshman. You got Makai Long, who's an athletic wing defender. You got Tyler Nickel, the shooter from North Carolina. Which one? Which one of those guys do you think steps in for Rodney Rice? I think Tyler Nickel. I think Long's the best fit. Like they need some athleticism. You know, the, the one thing is he really wants shooting. Well. Sean Padula, Hunter Couture, and Robbie Barron. Well, Robbie Barron's only a theoretical shooter, but yes. I think they need some athleticism, but we'll see what happens with Mike Young's squad. I, I guess another mention, I saw that Christy Sandoko had like a huge game and Ross team was tweeting about him for St. Joe's. Speaking of former Providence recruits, Patrick Wessler was someone who I liked more than E. Sandoko. I, I watched both, both of them play. I thought Wessler was better. He's he's more of a traditional seven footer. Isendoka's more of like the Embiid Jokic kind of a skill guy, except with none of the defense they bring. Um, but maybe Wessler's a guy if Isendoka is this, this this far ahead of schedule. Maybe Wessler can bring something as well for for Bot Tech. Maybe so. All right. Um... 
let's get to the prop bets. So, again, we just bet on random shit. Last year, Brad won by five, but a lot of them were very close. So, I, today, I, I actually listened to this episode from last year. One of the very rare times in these, whatever, five or six years that I've actually listened to the podcast. And, like, you were... You were so close. Like there was one where uh, the Texas Tech fifth starter. Right, the answer was Pop Isaacs. I said Corwin Walton. He started seven games. You said Demorian Williams, who took who who started one game. On your explanation, you're like, I've been hearing great stuff about Pop Pop Isaacs, but I'm going with Demorian Williams. I don't trust myself at all. <laughs> it's and then for the freshman um, outside the top 100 leading scorer. You were like, I'm deciding between Pharrell Payne and Kebajai. I'm going Kebajai. And, like, Pharrell Payne would have been a great choice there. Um, Who so was, do we think, the number one last year? I don't know. Um, I'm going to look I'm gonna look and just find some names while we, while we do this. But Yeah, yeah Payne, Payne was, like, 8.5, which is pretty high. Pretty darn good, yeah. Yeah. Um. So some of these other ones that we were close, we had like a a terrible Providence one where this we we did this one earlier in the off season. We said, okay, Jared Bynum is a leading scorer. <laughs> Who's the second leading scorer? And I said Noah Locke, and you said Devin Carter. And it turned out we were wrong on all fronts. Like Hopkins was well, the leading. Was scorer. Devin Carter the second leading scorer? No, Croswell was. Did but, he really? That's unbelievable. But but you were closer. Carter averaged more than Locke. Um, like, out of the whole starting lineup, we were all, all over the board. Um, there were some other very close ones, like Cockbrenner versus Manny Bates for blocks yeah. per game. Um, Flagler versus Keontae George for scoring. That was, like, incredibly close. Um, so, it, you know, listening back, I thought we both did well. Um I, I wouldn't have been like mortified if somebody listened to that today. Like, like they 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 wouldn't think that we were absolute morons. I think it's striking just scrolling through this how bad most sub 100 recruits are. Yeah, like most of these guys are still written off or they've transferred. So a few highlights I've seen so far: um, Omari Abram, he was right around that eight and a half number. Prince Aligbe, who I think was also around that. Um, Aiden Mahaney, but he's not a high major, so it doesn't count. Trey Donaldson played a lot, but he's only like five points a game. Um, yeah, another mid-major guy that was very good, Yan Farrell. He was good at bottom entry, but again, that doesn't count. Um, like, yeah, like for most guys, at best, it's just like they played in the rotation. Like Keba Keda played at Utah. That That's a productive top outside the top 100 recruit. But he's not nearly on the scoring front. Um, ooh, I actually found the winner. I'm pretty sure. Jordan Pope, Oregon State. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah. Yeah, he he averaged like 13 a game. He's got to be the winner. Is that right. where you want to start this year? Let's do it. So this is always a fun bet. And again, so so this is the highest scoring player at a high major ranked outside the top 100 this fresh as as freshman. There's a few good candidates this year, but the drop-off is very, very steep. Um, because, as as we've said, there's just not a lot of opportunity, and these guys mostly get recruited over. 
So my choice is just outside the top 100. In fact, it does feel somewhat like a technicality to even get him in here. But I am taking Silas Demery at Georgia. He was a very good recruit out of high school, originally committed to USC. He opens up in the spring. He goes to Georgia. Um, big point guard. Have heard some really good things and has a chance to play right away. Like, I think there's a good chance he tops Justin Hill and is the starting point guard for this team. So I narrowed mine down to five. Originally, I had it, had it at like 12. I knocked it down to five. Demery was on there. Another another one that's going to get a lot of play is Carlton Carrington, who's probably yes. the starting point guard for Pittsburgh. I'm going to go a little deeper down the board. I'm going to go with Marcus Burton for Notre Dame. This is just pure opportunity play. Pure opportunity. I mean, I I, I guess there's a scenario where Braden Shrewsbury plays a ton and Roper plays a ton and he doesn't, but Notre Dame do, doesn't have a ton of guys. Not not you know not a ton of guards and Burton's been. Committed for a while, you know. He he was committed to the previous staff. He's the highest ranked of those guards, and yeah, I I think he's going to play. The the other guys I considered were obviously Demery, Carrington, Jamichael Davis for Rutgers. Yeah, seems like he's been good. And then Drew Fielder for Georgetown. Yeah, Drew Fielder, good opportunity play. Which I I, I don't think he's far enough along yet, and. He plays no defense, which could be an issue with Cooley. Certain guys are allowed to play no defense, like Nate Watson and Bryce Cotton and LaDante Hinton, but I don't know about a freshman four slash five. I'm trying to find my my list real quick to see if there's anyone else that I would consider as good good outside the top 100 ones. Uh, Finley Bizjack could be one. The, the uh, Butler fans love Finley Bizjack. Now we also we are we exclude on this the international kids who only get ranked by one service, and we also exclude the um, the reclass kids who only get ranked. Like Jaron Stevenson's outside the top 100. I don't think I would have picked him, but he'd be a good candidate. Um, That's just because little... not every recruiting service moved him out right of his original class. So, so yeah, Correct. that's. That I shouldn't count. But. I considered a little bit um, Isaiah Coleman at Seton Hall, but I think the opportunity won't be quite there. Um, he was one that I had on my somewhat short list. I also was briefly considering Nolan Winter at Wisconsin, but again, just opportunity-wise, I think he's just a clear backup. Sounds like he's going to play, but how much will he play? I just don't know. Um, there's room for one of these Vanderbilt guys. I just don't know which one, so I didn't pick take one. Um, I mean, I, I, I kind of danced around it on mine, but I, I, any chance for Braden Shrewsbury? I guess. Like, it can't be ruled out. Yeah. Actually, I I have one sleeper. Rodney Brown at Cal. Okay. They like Rodney Brown a lot, and he could have some opportunity if Jalen Tyson's waiver does not go through. Because apparently it's not enough to be called a slave to get cleared. 
Uh, one other name I had considered briefly was Kome Amuwoger at UCF. Good player, big wing, somewhat interesting. In a re- reviewing our, our our bets from last year, UCF sneaky fifty six in Kenpom. Oof. To end right. last year, I would not have expected that high at all. I knew they were high. I didn't know they were. Didn't remember that they were that quite that high. So, all right, let's move through the through these bets here. We've got. Um, should, are we just going down the stock in order, Brad? Well, so we have the ones that you sent me this morning okay. that we we know that we're on different sides. Except for, I guess this first one, we're on the same yeah. side. But you want we should talk it. about it though. Yeah. So let's go through these first and then go through the rest. All right, Tennessee's leading scorer. The overreaction take would be Dalton Connect. The thing is, that would also be Kevin's underreaction take. So I was on Dalton Connect before. So I thought about Viscovi here, but I think at this point he has to be considered the favorite. Yeah, I mean, he looks great. Ziegler and Viscovi, who would probably be your second and third picks, are either not healthy or away from the team currently. There's a little uncertainty there. Um, and they we, we saw last year that they need that offensive pop. And Connect looks like a, a borderline NBA player at, at, at least. So yeah, that's a, that's a great pick. All right, let's move on. We're just going to scrub this off. We're not doing it, but we didn't want to talk about it. Uh, all right, Illinois' second leading scorer. So we can assume safely that Terrence Shannon's the guy, save for an injury. But they show off pretty good balance. Coleman Hawkins had a great game yesterday, but I think there's a case for some other guys. Um, and I'm curious, Brad, where you come down on this one. I went Coleman Hawkins. Um, he didn't score as much as I expected last year, both pre and postseason. You know, pre as in what I thought he was going to do last year, and then a couple weeks ago when I saw what he did last year was less than I, I thought. Like, you look at who else is going to round out this this lineup, and it's it, and it's glue guys. I guess you could call Garrier more than a glue guy, but, like, Luke Goody and Marcus Damask and Justin Harmon, you know, these in Sincere Harris and even, like, may, maybe some of the freshmen as well, like, they're good players. They've, they've shown that they can contribute, but they're going to be lower usage in the case of Goody and Damask and Harmon, like real glue guys, it seems like. So I'm I'm taking Damask. Um, I think the role that Hawkins will be in outside of his, um, outside of the pick and pop game, I think it'll be more about his passing. And because of that, I think Damask, who is a Great connector piece, but also can really make shots. Finds a way to get to that 12 points a game and winds up having a having a really good year for Illinois. He looked the part yesterday. All right, next we have Indiana leading scorer. I went with Malik Renew. I think this one's going to be close. Again, there's there there are a few teams like this where they have maybe four or five guys that are going to average double figures. Like you look at. Mackenzie Mbako, you look at Xavier Johnson, maybe Kalel Ware, if he gets his act together as well, could 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 average, you know, 11, 12 points a game. 
But I think Renault, I, I, I think he's the safest guy, the, the safest pick. Like he plays with a lot of energy, with a lot of athleticism. He can play the four and the five. So if the wear experiment blows up, or if Mbako can't play the three full time, you can play Renault and Mbako together with the four and the five. You know that that positional versatility, his athleticism and his physicality, and the amount of minutes he's going to play, I think, gives him the best chance. I'm on Mbako here. It just seems like Woodson's going to empower him, and. He's also going to get some perimeter reps just by nature, the way they're built, right? Like Renew's never really dribbling the ball. I think, I think they're going to let Mbako do a lot. I don't know if it's great for their team that he's their leading scorer, but I also don't know how else you script it. I think this, this confirms that Xavier Jonathan is going to be the leading scorer. That I think would be very bad for Indiana, but again, what do I know? I think they, the best they, case for Indiana is that Khalil Ware is the leading scorer. They did not look good in that first half against, uh, was it in, Indiana Wesleyan? Was that the team? No. No, they played the University of Indianapolis. Right. T- tonight was Kentucky Wesleyan for our game of the week. And Indiana um, Wesleyan's head coach just set the record for most, uh, for fastest to 500 wins at any level of college basketball. Very exciting, I know. Right. Who did you have for Virginia leading the score? Because I was surprised we we didn't match on this one. I have Reese Beekman. I actually thought I think this one will be a very low, like low number for everybody. And I think McNeely, who I'm guessing is your choice, will get into like the eleven-ish yeah. range. But I think. I think they're going to get Jordan Minor his touches. I think they're going to get everybody involved. And I think Beekman settles in at like 11, 11 5 and leads them to score. So, my position on this, I think there's a chance that Beekman is just the role player again. Yeah. I, I, I personally think he will be better than that. I think he'll prove to be, you know, a top 40 player in the sport and get drafted and, and take a step up. But I think the chances that e- even if he does that, you know, maybe he only averages 10, 11 points a game. But the chances of him being that role player are higher, right? Like, oh, there's there's a wider range of scoring outcomes with Beekman, where I think McNeely is like a sure thing for 12, 13 points a game. You know, he, he's one of their few experienced guys back. He sh- shot the ball really well th- throughout his high school and last year career. Virginia, you know, has always had these guys get get their feet wet as 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 younger guys, and then sophomore, junior year take that leap. I think McNeely's that guy this year. I really wanted to be Andrew Rohde, but I just didn't, couldn't quite get there. I mean, who else would even be an option for this? Cer- certainly not Dante Harris, Jordan Minor, Jordan Minor. An NEC transfer one year? Oof. That would be bad for Virginia. Yeah. We'll see because Quincy McKnight and Kane Broom, who are two of the faces of successful NEC transfers, were not good in their first years. But we'll see. Um. All right. Grant Nelson over under 13 points per game. 
I said over. So this is not quite a leading scorer question, but it's a different kind of proxy of it, right? Of like, do you view Grant Nelson as like a leading scorer caliber player for Alabama? I'm going to go under because I think that Jaron Stevenson is going to continue to emerge. I think the guards are going to get fed. I think Grant Nelson will have a fine year. But, um, like, I I just am not sure that they're going to run a lot, as much of the room. Especially, like, if Sam Walters and Jaron Stevenson are both good, which it seems like they are, that would really imply that they're going to, like, Nelson's going to get pushed a little bit. But we did hear all those reports about preseason Grant Nelson looks amazing. With Wegu out. He's probably playing some five, right? Which gives him a huge matchup nightmare. And his Alabama offense is going to be fast-paced. It's going to be high-scoring. So there's going to be even more opportunities there based on a normal top 25 team, a normal top 25 offense. I don't think he's going to average like 20 points a game or anything, but but I bet he can get to 15 and you know, 15 and seven. If he has 15-7, that's an awesome year. Yeah. All right, keeping it moving. Um, A-10, over, under, one and a half bids. My rankings say under, but I'm going to take the over because I just think there's been too much fatalism about the league, and there's enough teams at the top that I'm at least interested in. Like, I think Bonaventure could be at large. I think Dayton could be at large. I think... Teams like Loyola and Duquesne have non-zero chances of being at large and at least will be competitive. And again, like maybe this is just blind optimism, but there's just a part of me that refuses to believe the league is is as bad as it was last year. So I could see this happening. So I'm, I'm going with under because Dayton was the only team in my top 46, but Dayton was in my top 46. Which means if they were to lose their conference tournament and they it's a fifteen team conference tournament, um, if any other team wins with my current preseason rankings, the A ten gets two bids. So that's th- this is certainly a very close outcome. But given it's, Dave, very, it's very funny that your rankings say there's an at large team, my rankings say there don't, uh, and that there isn't, and we came out on the opposite sides of that. I I I will say in the Dayton-Ohio State game, uh, Dayron Holmes, he was shooting a few too many jumpers, and the announcers were saying the NBA told him to shoot some jumpers. Uh, it's a classic. That, that had me scratching my head a little bit, because uh, he should just be under the rim dunking everything. But Do we think the NBA actually tells people to shoot more jumpers? Or is that just like a thing that people say? I think they they probably give him like a very general statement. I get better, yeah. Yeah. Prove your skill level, you know. Duh, duh, duh. But some some guys should not be shooting more jumpers. Yeah. And not your seven foot freak athlete guy. Um, right. Next we have this. This is probably the the toughest one in the whole group. Pac twelve over under five bids. I had four and a half. I think is the, the number. Oh yeah, four and a half. Um, so five is it five five or more of six four five or more four or fewer. So I went under because that's what my rankings had, but I I have admitted that Oregon is one of my because I said so teams. 
along with LSU, Oklahoma, and Missouri, where whatever credible argument you make as to why this is this is a tournament roster, my response is basically, eh, I don't think so. Do, do you have any teams like that? Um, Wait, you, you just can't really art, articulate it, but just this mesh of transfers, you just, you're just not buying it? I think I do. I just need to go through my list to find one. But either way, um, yeah. I was I was over five. Again, this is a situation where my rankings suggest four, but I just think there's too many possibles, right? Like, if you're saying I've got four teams that I feel with like 70, 70 plus percent probability of my tournament, and then I've got three more teams that are like 30 percent probabilities, one of the 30s is going to make the tournament. Or like Washington or Oregon or someone like that will break through. So I like these rosters enough in the middle tier of the league that they'll find a way in. The biggest thing with the Pac-12 is the early season stuff. They've been so bad in the bye games. This year, the league has to take care of business. Right. I mean, the, there there was it was it two was it two years ago or was it last year where we we looked up in January and it was like the Pac-12 is a two bid league. And they ended up winning enough and kind of organizing their resumes enough to get the three or four bids, whatever they got. But yeah, they 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 got to take care of business. They got to get get out of that swack series that was killing them. Um, but I'm going with four. You're going with over. Um, the next one's staying in the Pac-12. Caleb Love will he shoot over 40% from the field or not? So, so his his I- shooting. His freshman year, he shot 32% from the field as a freshman. I was, I was going to ask you, have did you look at his previous field goal percentages before you made this took the side of this? No, I did not. Um, <laughs> sophomore year, 37%. Junior year, 38%. On a lot of attempts, obviously. We all know a lot of attempts. Yes. Um, but, like, 40% is not crazy especially if he's a little more reined in this year yes and i would think that this offense with more transition will get him better shots but i'm happy to take the under just based on history right like he's gonna take so many dumb ones that he'll stay at around 40 right like again it would take a non-trivial improvement just to get to that point in the years he's been quote unquote good, right? Like the the sophomore year, Caleb was supposed to be good. Caleb and he shot thirty eight percent. That's I mean, not trivial to get to forty. He did shoot forty six percent from two. It was just his thirty percent from three on seven attempts a game. Right, but down. why is that changing? More he's accountability. Like, theoretically, he's a great shooter, but like he actually is not a good shooter. I'm I'm buying a little more accountability, even though he was a bad get. I have Arizona like seventh or eighth in my rankings, and you know they they can sit him, right? If you know UNC needs him to keep firing, or, or at least uh, Hubert wouldn't trust another another soul to supplant his starting five. Um, but like if he's not hitting, you can put in Jaden Bradley and Kylan Boswell or uh, KJ Lewis. Who's gotten a lot of buzz too? So. I think a little more of a normal season for Caleb Love. Um, all right, next two are both 
tests on how much a team will play two traditional bigs. So first, we have how much overlap between Trey Kaufman-Wren and Zach Eady. So theoretically, right, if you add up the minutes between the two, if the amount over 40 is the amount that they overlapped on the floor, right? So if Eady plays 32 minutes a game and Trey Kaufman-Wren plays 20 minutes a game, then they had 12 minutes of overlap. Painter did throw out, which I don't know if it, or I, I don't think he'll do this during the year, but he did throw out in the first half of Mason Gill as Caleb first, 4-5. Which he should do. But, yeah. but do you, do, what, where did you come down on this one? I forget. I said under. Because I think, I think whenever Edie's off the floor, T, TKR is going to be in there at the five. And you, you have both Mason Gillis and Caleb first in terms of mouth to feed. And Mason Gillis, at least on Saturday, looked better than both of them. But both first and TKR. So I think, you know, if Trey Kaufman-Wren plays, you know, what I, I think the situation that you outlined is, probable right tkr for 20 minutes a game ed for 30 minutes a game so it's going to be right at that 10 minutes yeah I, I think this is a great close prop bet but i'm going under 10 minutes so i'm going to go over and i think the the answer to the question will be more rooted in how much does ed play than how much does coffin play i think coffin's going to play 20 minutes they recognize he's a good a really good player they're going to have to keep him keep him hung keep him keep him happy because obviously Edie's off to the pros next year. Um, so to me, the real question is, will will they get Edie to 30 minutes a game? I think they will. So 50 plus. Moving on, same thing with Caden Shedrick and Dylan DeSue. Although I set the line at eight minutes versus 10 here, because I think Texas is a little less high on Shedrick than the... Uh, I think they're a little less high on Shedrick than they than Purdue is on TKR. Could we alter this to in Big 12 play, given both these guys are hurt? Yeah, that's fine. Let's be a little cleaner, given that they'll probably come back at different times. But I said over. I I think that the Dishu Shedrick pairing could work, and I'm guessing your under is based on Dylan Mitchell of the three not working. But, but I, yes. I, I I think that they'll at least start that way. I think they probably will start that way, but I think they're going to have to find – I think Mitchell's going to be good enough that they're going to want him on the field. Um, Not the field, the court. Good Lord. He's going to be good enough that they're going to want him on the field. Oh, Jesus, twice? Good enough that they want him on the court. Dylan Mitchell on the court playing basketball. I think they will want to – I think they're going to find ways to get him in. It's, I think Shedrick's going to somewhat bust out once Disu, well, I, I, once he's put in a system where, you know, I think they're going to be able to feed, feed the post with Sioux, and to do that, that means Shedrick has to be lifted. I don't think that's going to work very well. Um, and I also think that they're going to keep le- minutes restrictions on Sioux. So to do that, they're going to be able to have plenty of room for Shedrick at the five. 
All right, next we have that you are selling the Baylor defense. You, you think that they're, they're going to be worse than 49.5? Yes. They were 106th last year, and they still have they, they still have an unathletic point guard in Ray J. Um, it's not... The other thing I noticed, and again, I don't know what the details were from this charity game, or not charity game, secret scrimmage. From the secret scrimmage. But Jonathan Chamochachua only played nine minutes. I saw that. Gonzaga. He was behind both Eves Missy and Ojan Wuna. Ojan Wuna was completely lost defending ball screens last year, and Missy is a reclass. So if you're going to play freshman bigs, you're going to have some bumps defensively. So if JTT is just like not himself fully, to me, that's like a pretty clear indicator of. Of, con- of of defensive struggle. That's a good point, but we, we we don't know the full circumstances behind JTT's playing time. That's true. Like I, I saw also like for Seton Hall, Bediaco and Hutchins Everett combined for like less than 20 minutes a game, or, or less than 20 minutes in the game. Um, again, like didn't watch. I can't really say what was going on there, but I I just figured. Between JTT and the, the 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 backup bigs, which Missy has gotten a lot of buzz on the Finkelstein pod, he was saying that Missy's got a lot of buzz. I think yes. Rostein said it too. Um, but Baylor's between, excited about him. Between those athletic bigs, Jalen Bridges at the four, who's very athletic, Jacoby Walter, who's like an NBA first round pick in terms of you know scoring and athleticism, he's super long. He has like yeah. crazy long arms. Um, and then, you know, Jaden Nunn's supposed to be a good defender. Langston Love's going to play a lot. He should, you know, he he's a good athlete, right? I guess we'll see how how he is now that he's healthy. But I think that they have pieces to be a good defensive team. And I guess last year, Keontae George never profiled as a defender. L, LJ Cryer wasn't a very good defender. And Flagler was smaller, right, than... Yeah. The guy's playing that role this year. Tang factor is a concern defensively. I never know how much credit and, and or blame to give assistant coaches for anything. So a couple I, more. I, I usually from, stay away from that. Fair enough. All right. A couple more from my list of, uh, of, of ones. Hunter Salas, 14 and a half points per game over under. Um, both weight guards under... Forbes, Alondas Williams, and Tyree Appleby have been 18 plus. I think they have a little bit more help this year. I also think that Salas is a little bit worse of a pure scorer. So I I leaned under here. Oh wait, you you went under here? Did I? I mean, I'll take the over if you want the under really badly. I was I I I I set that line pretty sharp. I thought. No, I. Let's uh, cut this one then, because 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 we're both under. Um, okay. Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing. Where Salas is a different type of guard than Appleby, um, and uh, who was their guard before Appleby again? I'm blanking. Alondas Williams. Well, well, I guess he's kind of similar similar to Alondas Williams, but uh, we'll see if he. I mean, Williams had an all-time breakout. Like that was not a, a normal progression. And 
as as you said, they they have more help now with Cam Hildreth in there as well, who's yeah. had a great thirty-eight as well. points against Alabama. Next, we had Louisville turnover rate twenty percent, which you you texted me that that would have put them in the around three hundredth last year. Yes, that, right? that was exactly 300 last year. And I said, there's no way that 62 teams are going to turn over the ball more than Louisville. Do 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 you still feel that 62 teams will turn the ball over more than Louisville will? So I do because I actually, I mean, the one thing they didn't do today was turn the ball over. So maybe I'm overreacting to scrimmage result here, but they actually took care of it okay. Um, I think they can get to 20. So you have lower than 20% or higher? I, I think they'll be a little bit better. Okay. So I'm I I have them having over 20% turnover rate, which I don't look at that stat very often. That seems very high. Um, that's one in every five possessions. But yeah, I guess that's right. They're not going to play super fast. They don't have ball handlers, and they don't offensive rebound. Um, and you you have them having a better turnover percentage than twenty percent. Um, next we have assist leader for U, for UNC. I assume this was spurred uh, by Hubert's decision to start Pax and Wojcik over Elliot Cadeau. But I'm sticking with Mr. Cadeau. I, I I watched him in high school. He oh you know that's a nice pass. That's a nice pass. And then the the announcers are like, oh, he has 12 assists right now. It's like, oh my god. Um, but he he has great vision. He he's a very good passer, and I think he's still going to play a lot despite coming off the bench. Um, I took Davis because he's had an awesome preseason by all accounts, and he'll still have the ball in his hands a good amount. He's obviously a you know super super talented playmaker, right? The best of R.J. Davis has been as good as any guard in the country, right? So maybe maybe assist numbers stay low enough and Cadeau gets his, but I think I, I, I'm at least in enough on, on Davis that I think he gets like a four assist number and him and Cadeau wind up being right around the same. That's fair. I mean, uh, almost home Kenny Payne, which is not fair. Uh, Hubert Davis has not used his bench very much. That's true. Uh, but then again, Ellie Godot is someone who some people have as like a top ten draft pick. A Which top is crazy. He's not a top ten pick. No, he's he's Kendall Marshall. I think he's Ish Smith. He's a he's a better athlete than Kendall Marshall. I but but he, he's a pass first point guard. Yes. Um. In in the era where your starting point guards need to score, even more so in the NBA than in college. Yep. Um. So that's 13. Last year we did 25, and I have a, a pool of another like 40 or so we can choose another 12 from. And we can go quicker on some of these. We'll see how that goes. But do you, you want to start with Kansas' second leading scorer? Sure. Um, Are we both McCuller here? Yeah. All right. All right. Then let's cut. All right. I like. I mean. I don't know who I, I like El Marco a lot, but I just don't know that he's quite ready to take the huge jump. I I thought maybe you you would you would bite on Jackson, but um, 
How how about this one? Butler leading score. This this can go in like seven different directions. DJ Davis, you said? Yeah. I'll go with Telfort. Okay. I like Jameel Telfort a lot. I just think Davis is going to get the three. He's going to make like two threes a game. He has the pedigree. I'm a fan. Surprise. Are you surprised that neither of us chose Posh Alexander for that? Well, given we both hate Posh, probably not. <laughs> yeah. All right, you're up. All right. Um, we should probably not do coaches fired in midseason because Kenny Payne just swung that line from, like, <laughs> plus 125 to minus 270. Um, I couldn't think of any other coach that would be fired midseason. Maybe if, like, if like Washington was doing really terribly or something, but it seems unlikely. You've got on here one that I like, which is Notre Dame over under 145, 149.5, Ken Bob. It's Notre Dame a top 150 team in college basketball. Um, my rankings say no. Um, do you have a preferred side on this, Brad? Because I'm happy to take the other. No, I was going to go no, too. Okay. So you, you can choose again, then. Um, let's see here. Arthur Kaluma over under 13 and a half points per game. I will take the over here, actually. Okay. Particularly if there's a little bit of Tomlin uncertainty. I will stick with under. Yeah. I I will stick with under, even though I did choose this before Tomlin's uh, arrest was public knowledge. Um, I've just been shocked at how... People seem to just love Arthur Kaluma from a national perspective. I don't. I don't think Creighton fans love him. I was uh, on. A, I was on a. I was on an Omaha radio show this morning, and they asked my thoughts on Arthur Kaluma's fit at Kansas State, and I was like, I don't know where you want me to go with this. Like, 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 it is the vibe that I'm supposed to bash, Mr. Kaluma? Like, like, what do you want from me here? Because he, on CBS's top 100 players, which I thought was actually pretty good. Yeah, um, me too. The one glaring one that I, that I was like, oh, my God, was they had Arthur Kaluma over Oso Iguodaro, which I would I would risk my life on the take that Oso <laughs> is a better player than Arthur Kaluma. I would put my life on the line for that take. Like, it's literally, like, one of the highest IQ basketball players in the country versus a ball-stopper turnover machine. Like, elite passer, terrible passer. <laughs> Like, um, also still a good athlete. He's still a good defender as well. So I don't, I don't get that at all. But um, Kaluma also made like the national small forward rankings, which uh, as, as a funny quirk, you, you you had told me that not everybody gets to vote on every position, which makes no sense at all. Correct. Like they've deemed some people like qualified to vote on shooting guards, but not small forwards. Well, I don't think that's how it works, but yes, that 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 is the implication. How does unless everyone's only voting on one position? I think most people vote on one position only. But but a rare few get get to vote on multiple. Yeah. yeah. Either way, it's very funny. Like what 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 makes someone a shooting guard voter versus a small forward voter? One day, pr- probably pretty soon they'll. They'll, they'll probably ask you to vote, right? Maybe. 
which which position do you think that 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 they would ask you to vote for? I have no idea which one they would want me to. I would prefer to vote for the centers because then I don't have to do play position politics. That is true. But then, like you'll you'll compare your ballot to the final list. Like, wait, why they put half my ballot at power forward? True. All right. Um, your All turn. Right. Um, anyone on Illinois averaging over three assists per game? If uh, I'm I'm on no on that. I think between Shannon, Damask, Hawkins, everyone's gonna be like high twos. So I think they're gonna have like four or five guys. Obviously, Rogers being the point guard as well. Um, there, there was a team that we did this for one year, and it worked out as well. You know, a team that didn't have. Think think it was the, the Texas Tech team that had Kevin McCullough as their point guard. I think maybe McCullough like just got over three barely, but it was pretty close. So I'll I'll say no one averages more than three assists per game on Illinois. Um. I will take the yes then. I don't like love it, love or hate it either way. I think it's going to be right at the, like the two eight to three two range, but I probably slightly prefer like one of Shannon, Damask, and Rogers to get there. You're up. All right. Um. Let's see. Can we do? Marquette over under 50th ranked defense. Do you think better than 50 or worse than 50? So let's contextualize here first. Yeah. Last and preseason year, Ken Palm, they're 28th right now. Last right. year they were 42nd. If you if you have them, it, I don't see how you say Marquette's defense is going to substantially improve. If they do, they probably should like win the title, right? Yes, and at the same time. If Marquette has the the, the the best, let's say Marquette has the best offense in the country in, in Kempom, and they're 50th in defense, or even 42nd, like like exactly what they were last year. Like, is that even a top 10 team? First and yeah, 42nd? Probably, right? I guess it depends how, how first they are. But, um, so I, w- I was leaning that their, that their defense would be worse than 50th. Is that what side you're on as well? If you're on worse, I'm happy to take better. Because there is just like an old factor there, which probably helps them a little bit. Um, and I don't think Joplin is so destructive. Like, Omax is a, is a negative. But losing Omax is a negative, but Joplin may not be a negative Below, he might not be a below average defender. You might be just fine. All right, next. Uh, where do you stand on Donovan Klingon scoring? Do you have over or under 15 points a game? I assume you have over. Yes. I would probably be over. Like, if you think he's a National Player of the Year candidate, he has to be over. Right? He's right. not winning National Player of the Year at 14. All right, so we're bailing on that one. Um. How about how about more starts between 
How about we, we, we do the Providence one? How, how about more, more starts? Corey Floyd versus Garway versus Ticket. So their fifth starter. Garway, for sure. And, and I'll say Corey Floyd. Want another side, I'll, take, I'll do this. No, so you you have Garway. I have, I have Corey Floyd. You're a big Corey Floyd supporter, aren't you, Brad? He was good last year. Um, Kim said he was shooting the cover off the ball all summer. And Nate Tomlinson in his interview with uh, the vault said that Corey Floyd was as good as any player all, all offseason. Like, he was as good as Bryson, Devin Carter. Um, okay. And Cooley had really no reason to play him last year. And Corey Floyd, like, broke his way into the lineup at the end of the year. Um Yeah, um, I, what, cool. What's that beeping sound? Is that like our connections, Dad? I hear no beeping. So, or, or am I only hearing the beeping? I, I'm not hearing any beeping. So, Brad, hopefully the, the house is burning down, my friend. Right. Where to next? Um, let's do the ACC leading scorer. It's an interesting bet. Yeah. Again, let's contextualize option. here. Some candidates, PJ Hall, Filipowski, Miles Kelly, Wuga Poplar and Nigel Pack. Baycott and Davis. Baycott and Davis. McNeely, if you're really feeling McNeely. Blake Hinson. Judah Mintz. I think I would take options. I think I would take Judah Mintz. Sorry, I was gonna say I was gonna say Mince, but I'll go Filipowski here. Okay. Sorry, what, what, what were you gonna say about Mince? I was just gonna say he's already averaged like 16 points a game in college basketball. He's coming back. He's a second-year guard. There's there's some growth to be had there. It seems like the system's really gonna allow him to to make plays. I'm in. All right, so we have six more. Um. Let's see. Where where are you on the Michigan State center minutes? Who's going to average the most minutes among Xavier Booker, Matty Sissoko, and Carson Cooper? I'm probably on Sissoko. I'll go Cooper then. Okay. You get the buy into the white guy for Izzo. Five. Absolutely. Michigan State center. More minutes. You're going Sissoko. Going Carson Cooper. Neither of us going with the five-star recruit. Um, we could do the bet we were discussing at Ohio State, which is fifth starter Mahaffey versus Dale Bonner versus uh Scotty Middleton. Where are you on this? I think Middleton. M- Middleton flashed a lot of upside in their game against Dayton. Um, Mahaffey got the start. But I thought Dale Bonner actually looked the best out of the three. Uh, but I'm sticking with Mahaffey. I think they, they, they need the athleticism next to Jamison Battle. And um, it's funny, too. I, I uh, took a victory lap on Mahaffey starting. And then I, <laughs> I realized that I was actually wrong because Felix Akpara started over Zed Key, and I had Key. So I had a different four out of five. But yeah, Middleton for you. Mahaffey for me, most starts this season. All right, what's next? 
Where are you on Gonzaga leading score? Good question. I would have Nempard. Okay, I'll go Anton Watson. Ooh. I think he's going to break out. Uh, leading score. I think I think Ike is the 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 real question mark in there, which is if he scores a bunch, how much does it take away from Anton? Watson's been around forever. He was a great recruit. He's played a ton of minutes. He was always stuck behind Timmy. I, I, I guess you could say EK and Timmy have you know similar style, and if he was stuck behind Timmy, he could be stuck behind EK. But I think this is his opportunity to shine. I know that early in his career, the draft people were weighing in on him as well. So I'll go Watson here for a breakout. Um, how many do we need more left? We got to get uh three, three more. more in. All right. Um, hmm. how about Arkansas over under nineteen and a half in Ken Palm? So you you have them better than nineteen and a half? I presume. I do. I have them exactly. I think eighteenth in the precinct. All right. I have them worse, obviously, as we've described. Yes. Uh, where are you on Xavier's defense? Do you think that they're going to be a top 100 defense? That's a hard one. I would say, yes, they can find a way in. All right. I think that they're going to be worse than 100 in defense. Oops. Now, again, we're making this bet because Dave, Xavier is very young and very inexperienced in the front court. And it wasn't particularly good defensively last year either. And the 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 guards are not supposed to be great defenders. Cla- Claude, I think, profiles as a pretty good defender, but McKnight and Olivieri and Trey Green's tiny. Yeah, I mean McKnight. McKnight was on that that fraudulent Western Kentucky defense. So. With Jamarian Sharp, who made the top center list, even though he can't protect the rim at seven five. And he probably won't even start. Well, Cisse waiver. What's going on there? Yeah, if, if they got the waiver for Cisse, that would be awesome. He will Time's start. Time's No it's rush, NCAA. Only like a week until we start. Um. Are we? Is that this it? is the last one right here? Alrighty, that's it. This is my draw. Yep. All right, let's do it. Um, who do we like here? What do we like on this board? Let's do Zion Poland versus Will Richard. Are you on Poland? Uh, I'm on Richard. Okay, then we can't do that one. All right, your choice again. What about Geronimo versus Jamie Kaiser? So this is for the starting wing spot. I'm guessing you have Kaiser. I do have Kaiser. Yeah, let's uh, choose another one. Oh, yeah. uh, let's see. Mike Jones versus. Uh, Andre Stoyakovich at, Can- at Stanford. That's a great I'll take Jones. one to wrap it up. Yes, it's great. I'll take Stoyakovich. So Stanford, 
the shooter off the bench last year, Mike Jones, back for another year. He was great whenever I watched them, but like statistically only an okay year versus the five star in Stojakovic, pretty key to their future. One of the reasons that they kept for one more year, um, Jared Haas. Stojakovic had a great recruiting pedigree. Never saw him play in high school in person though, so um, gonna go blind faith here. People love Jones coming out of Davidson. They were like fawning over him. I was surprised he didn't start last year. But. Yeah. So that's that's 25, and then the ones left in our pool that we did not choose um, for position battles, we had Vir- Virginia Tech fifth starter. We had the Purdue power forward. We had Michigan small forward, um, which seems like early, early returns are Terrence Williams in that, in that one. Um, Seton Hall center, Bet- Betty Ako versus Hutchins. Um, and then Iowa fifth starter, Bowen versus Dix. And then in terms of leading scorers, we had Stanford, Missouri, Kentucky. We, we did Gonzaga. Um, Memphis, Michigan, Wisconsin, Oregon, and Notre Dame were other ones we thought were up in the air. Yep. Um, and then two other Providence ones we left on the board, top 30 defense, and then more steals, Garway or Devin Carter. All right, well, I think that wraps us up. Long pod. Appreciate everyone sticking with us. A lot of ground covered. So We started late, too, because of the game of the week. That's true. That's true. So we appreciate you all joining us. It has been a long off season. We know you guys are excited as we are to see some actual hoop on November 6th. The slate is light. Um, I think both of us will be at our uh, respective alma maters on opening night. Providence, Columbia. I'm going to go to Northwestern Binghamton for the hell of it. Go watch Simeir Torrance. Um, should be should be fun. Um, got a lot of games on the docket. Lots of lots of good stuff to, to look out for. And uh, so yeah, we appreciate you guys sticking with us. I know it's a it's a long offseason. So let's go let's go tip the ball up here in a in a couple of days. Thank I you can't listening. make it six more days. I'm you're dying. You're ready to go. I ready need go. I I need a win so big that I just my whole drive home and was asking my wife to. Re- refresh Ken Palm. That's 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 the standard next week. I can I can picture you asking your wife to refresh Ken Palm on every drive home. Uh, mo- mo- most times with Providence, it's let's 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 stay away from Ken Palm. That's true. Providence and Ken Palm have a love hate relationship. After like the one point rider win, I almost started crying during that game. <laughs> oh man! Wow. Uh, cannot wait for November 6th. See you guys soon.